0: You're listening to Parenting in the First Three Years, the place where we explore the strategies and soul of parenting from pregnancy through the first three years of life. I'm your host, Ann McKittrick. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello and welcome to today's show. You know, I've been watching on Netflix a show called Old Enough, and maybe you have seen it. It's all about uh, parents who allow their really, really young child to run an errand all by themselves, where they actually leave the house and walk to a place and buy something at the store or do something that is very specific. The show has started a national conversation around autonomy and what we expect our children to be able to do at different ages and what we don't want them to do because we feel like it might not be safe. So in today's episode, I have invited Ray Pika. She's an early childhood consultant dedicated to the development and education of the whole child. She's the author of 22 books, including What If Everyone Understood Child Development, which is one of my favorite books out there around child development education. Um, Ray has shared her expertise with groups like Sesame Street Research, Head Start Bureau, the National Association for the Education of Young Children, the Chicago Children's Museum, Mattel, and Hasbro. She's internationally known as a speaker, blogger, and course creator, and she is on a mission to ensure that child development guides all of our practices with children and that children get the chance to be children. And so I thought that she might have some great things to say about this whole idea of autonomy and what we need to be encouraging our children to do in these very first years when they're just learning to do things. In the show notes of this episode, there's a link for a play resource library that Ray Pika has made available to all of you parents. And so be sure to check that out. Here's my conversation with Ray. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast with me and um, and for sharing your insights. I would love to talk with you, uh, Ray, about just this idea of supporting autonomy in children. You know, what would be your definition as an early childhood specialist of autonomy? What does that even mean? What does that look like?
1: Well, you know, not needing adult direction, um, being able to function independently, you know, to think for oneself, to do for oneself. And isn't that what we all want? For our children as they grow older, the interesting thing—I say this about so many things—that children need to begin developing these skills in early childhood, and if they don't, it's—it's kind of silly to imagine they're just going to suddenly appear because a person's body has gotten bigger, you know, Mm -hmm. and they've got more years attached to them. They don't suddenly appear; they have to develop over time, starting in early childhood. So, Mm -hmm. right.
0: yeah. So in the first three years, there's so much happening developmentally, you know, a, a child goes through like, you know, zero to three and they have just like, it almost feels like they've lived a lifetime of, of development in that short period of time. So if you were going to talk to a parent of like a two-year-old, what would, what would you expect that a two-year-old could, would be able to do? And one way I think about it is what do we expect toddlers to do in an early childhood program? you know, in the classroom, what would we want toddlers to be able to
1: do on their own? Play. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's what they all should be doing. It's what nature intended for them. It's how nature intended the young of almost all species, including the human species, to learn. They develop so many skills that way. So, yeah, we should just, we should just let them be. We should let them play and, and not worry about them. But I do, you know, I think about I've got two little adoptive grandsons. Um, one's three and one's one. And I have a, a, a video that their mom sent me of the three-year-old. He must have been two at the time. And he was standing on a stool and he was putting little chunks of, of cheddar cheese into what was going to become mac and cheese.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: you have to watch it to the end because, you know, he's kind of talking to himself and singing to himself as he does it. And then at the end, he gets so excited. You know, he's just like a ta-da kind of moment. They love feeling helpful. You know, they love doing things, but these experiences are are priceless. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, they're developing a lot of skills as they do these, these sort of things. So Mm -hmm. I have a, a a friend who is a middle school teacher. She tells me that you know, she puts the papers face down on the students' desks and the kids just sit there. They haven't a clue what to do next. They wait for specific instructions, for everything, she said, and she's never seen I mean, she's been a middle school teacher for several years, for a long time, and she's never seen this kind of behavior. And it's because these kids have had so much done for them mm-hmm. that they don't know how to do anything except follow rules and directions. Right, and that's right. that's a scary thought.
0: Or maybe even being punished for doing it on their own and not waiting for someone to tell them what, what to do and how to do it. I don't
1: know. Possibility or fear of getting it wrong. Right, you know, yeah four-year-olds just terrified of getting it wrong of failure or looking stupid. And and you wonder how on earth could a four-year-old already feel that way, you know? Um, But the other thing parents tend to do because they've been led to believe that they need to is protect them from mistakes. And that's Mm -hmm. not a good idea at all. Mistakes are how we learn, you know? Um, I would like every parent to show their child themselves making mistakes.
0: Mm -hmm. So that,
1: you know, the the children could see it's no big deal. It's okay. But yeah, they're so afraid of failing. So,
0: well, there's, there's a lot of mistakes that are built into playing as well, right? You know, you try something, it doesn't work. You try it a different way. Maybe it
1: works, maybe it doesn't, you know, or you build a structure and then it falls down, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's how you learn, you know, resilience and persistence Mm -hmm. and all of that. I'm telling you. I wouldn't be alive today if I didn't possess resilience and persistence. It's, uh, you know, it's really, those are two absolutely essential skills. And -hmm. if we only have adults who can follow instructions and directions and do as they're told, you know, where are we going to get the next big thing, the next greatest invention? You know, who's Mm -hmm. going to discover the the cure for for, uh, illnesses and viruses and who's going to solve world hunger and world peace? Oh, gosh. You know, I worry. <laughs> I've got all this white hair. You see how much I worry.
0: <laughs> well, I have a lot of faith. I think that kids are just, you know, able to figure it out. And and we are we have this gift of seeing trends and cultures change with time, and and seeing um, how how things are developing. I I, I think it's going to be really interesting. Even how brains are developing now versus the way they were even 50 years ago, you know, and um, and so, yeah, I, I think that those are this idea, this need for resiliency and grit and you know determination. Those are things that we really do need to um, help our children find in these first years, and they they have it naturally. You see any one-year-old or two-year-old try to do a task. They don't even get impatient. (laughs) They don't even get, they will try again and again and again and again to get it right. You know, it's just an amazing thing to watch. And so it's already built into their structure, their their little DNA Mm -hmm. to be an experimenter, to be persistent, to solve this problem. And we just have to let that happen
1: yeah it's it's we adults who become impatient, you know and, and right. in a hurry and can't wait for the the end result and mm-hmm. um, but then I hear stories from you know preschool teachers who tell me that the little ones can't put their own jackets on anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean you know all these things that they're just not capable of doing anymore because we've done it for them. so mm-hmm. yeah. yeah
0: it's it certainly is easier to put a jacket on a kid than to Wait for them to put it on themselves. Yeah, <laughs> especially when you're trying to get out the door. So mm-hmm. let's just talk about some. What are some of these things that uh, a little one can begin to do? Well, one is learning to put on their jacket, and there's always the little trick of laying it down on the floor and flipping it over your head. Everyone knows the jacket trick. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. yeah putting on their own shoes and velcroing them, you know, we, we might not be tying laces yet. That's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. let's see. Oh, you know, they can, uh, they can be tasked with helping to set the table for heaven's sakes, you know, give them the, the napkins and the, and the spoons and the forks and, and, uh, and let them help out in that way. Mm -hmm. It serves them in, in so many ways when we assign them tasks you know they mm-hmm. feel that wonderful sense of responsibility and accomplishment mm-hmm. so yeah right. they can help out in the kitchen you know Put a feather duster in there. I mean, I'm not 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 advocating for child labor, right? <laughs> but, you know, if you're if you're cleaning, they they'd be happy to clean right alongside you. Put a mm-hmm. feather duster in their hands. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it won't be perfect, but that's okay. We're not seeking perfection here, you yeah. know. Yeah. We're seeking that connection. We're seeking um, just that that feeling of of pride and accomplishment that they take in in doing things. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Right, you know i I used to give my kids a spray bottle and a, a you know a cloth and just ask them to clean the windows, please, and they just loved that task, especially if oh. one was on one side and the other was on the other side, and they could clean together.
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. I remember you know when my mother was doing laundry, I had my own pretend washing machine, you know, it was mm-hmm. just existed only in my imagination. I would act out all the same steps and you know, I just love that sort of thing. Would it be mm-hmm. great to, you know, have my own or to have a little step stool where I could get up there and, and help out? Right, yeah. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've been thinking about this conversation and thinking about in early childhood classrooms, you know, like in classrooms I've been in before, there's been like the diaper changing table was, you know, lifted. And then I've seen where teachers have put like a little stair step up to it. So the child could actually, with a hand, walk up the step and lay themselves down on the table to, to get their diaper changed. And that's such a simple thing. And it takes a little longer than picking the child up and putting them on the table. But it does give them um, a sense of I'm doing this by myself, you know. And so that's one thing that we do there, you know, besides, of course, cleaning up. All kids yeah. clean up in early childhood.
1: I don't think anyone enjoys accomplishing tasks as much as a toddler does. You know right. they take such joy in you know look what I did. It's mm-hmm. you know it's so important for them to have those experiences. Right. And you know well. I was thinking about play and one of the many myths that I've been trying to debunk is the idea that we as adults must always play with the children. Mm-hmm. That self-directed play is so important in in developing autonomy. Um, I don't quite know where the idea came from, but parents have been led to believe that if they don't play with their children all the time, they're just not good parents. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just not true. Years ago, I don't know how many, a mom came up to me after one of my keynotes and asked, is it okay if I don't always play with my child? And at the time I had no idea what she was asking because it seemed like such a bizarre question. And then I realized, and uh, yeah, it's that self-directed, self-chosen play is so important for them. They learn problem solving. They learn, you know, when they're doing it with others, they learn negotiation and cooperation and all the skills that they will put to use as adults. So yeah, right. I just want to reassure parents that they don't always have to play with their right. children. It's, you yeah. know, that independence, that the creativity, the you know, the imagination. I mean, their imagination surpasses ours by far. You know, we gotta just let them take it as far as right. as they can. So right.
0: yeah. Right. They do need to be the ones who are inventing the ideas instead of us, yes. you know, giving them the scenario, you know. Um, yeah, it's definitely. Definitely okay to not play with your children, but it is always good too to be in the same room and observing and listening and watching. I think that it's so fun to watch kids and see what it is that they're coming up with, and and you can see so much and learn so much about your child by observing them
1: closely. Yeah, you've got your own little child development lab, <laughs> <When> <laughs> right? You've got a little one at home, right?
0: <laughs> right, and then you have subsequent children, and you go, oh, well. That's what I thought, but no, that's not happening with this kid. <laughs> he thinks no, a no, two
1: children are the same, even right, twins.
0: Yeah. You know, I know, isn't that twins. fun? Twins,
1: and right. that's why yeah. you know it's it's the comparisons that are being made, you know, among children. And oh, Sarah isn't developing this way as quickly as mm-hmm. Mary Beth next door. I mean, don't worry, don't right. worry. You know, they're just no two children who are alike and they do Mm -hmm. develop physically, socially, emotionally, cognitively at different rates. So a child may be, you know, um, way ahead cognitively, you know, learning things faster, maybe reading earlier and, you know, don't worry if if she doesn't. Um, Then another child who is physically more skilled, you know, Mm -hmm. but it just, yeah, we have to be patient with that, too.
0: Right. Yeah. So one of the things I was thinking about with this conversation also is I remembered a story of whenever I was starting first grade and um, our the school I don't even know like I would have to go drive the neighborhood now to see how far away. I'm guessing it was a half a mile away but I remember that my I was going to be riding my bicycle to school by myself and so my mom We went, you know, in the summertime before school started, we went and practiced. We practiced riding to school. And then I remember one day, right about when school was going to start, she had me lead the way back home just to make sure that I could get myself home after school. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: I rode my bicycle past our street. I didn't turn on our street. And the next street up, there was a stop sign and it was a busier road than our little neighborhood. And it was such, I mean, here I am all these years later, and I can remember so specifically how I felt and what I learned by uh, her allowing me to make this mistake and miss the street and then back up and find the street from the other direction and go down the street the right way. Oh, good for her. Yeah. And so, you know, in early childhood, we call this logical consequences, you know, and and natural consequences. If you, you know, whatever happens, you, you let the child uh, deal with it in that way. But as, as we are talking about parents letting children do things on their own, I think it just would be interesting to, to give a few tips on, you know, aside from that, that's an older child, but for the little ones, what would be some practices that you would suggest for a parent of a three-year-old at home to help their child learn to do these things that we would like for them to be
1: able to do? Well, I think, you know, Lenore Skenazy, whom I mentioned earlier, talks about worst first thinking. And I believe we need to let go of that, you know. there are, there are little ones on Master Chef Junior, you know, who have better knife skills than I do. Um, and so obviously they've been wielding really knives for a while. But yeah, if, if we think, oh my God, this could happen, or oh my God, you know, that could happen, then we're not going to let them try anything. You know, I was part of a discussion one day how old, your story reminded me of this, how old should a child be before you let them walk to school on their own? And I mean, I hate to sound like Abraham Lincoln. I was walking and walking and walking and walking. It was a long distance back then to get to school and there was no school bus. So, you know, Um, but yes, one woman said 15, but she was watching her child from a hill and I thought, oh, boy, that child is going to be afraid of everything, you know, because he's being made to believe that he's not capable of doing this. And and so we need to shut ourselves of that worst first thinking, you know, don't be afraid. So, you know, I mean, some of the other examples I've, I've given, letting them help with with housework or, you know, helping you to wash the car, as long as they don't try to do it with rocks, you okay? <laughs> you <know? laughs> Um, you know, raking the yard, all these, all these things that they can try to do. If you have child size equipment for them to to try it with, uh, right. there are are they're going to surprise you with the mm-hmm. things that they can do. Yeah, mm-hmm. they really are. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, they're um... it's not scary. it's the scariest thing in the world. There's no easier group of people to scare than parents. You know, and I think that the media and social media are doing a really good job of scaring parents.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, We don't need easy. a whole
0: lot of extra uh, fuel for the fire of fear in our hearts, do we?
1: <laughs> no, absolutely not. I know how yeah. easy it is for me to say, oh, let go. Worst first thing, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, um, if we want them to become autonomous individuals, that right. we have to... You know, Please least try. <laughs>
0: right, yeah. There was an article in uh, NPR last week, or no, two weeks ago, where this um, author was talking about this show, uh, Old Enough, that has kind of come into the American scene on Netflix. It's a Japanese show that's been over there for a long time. But it's kind of stirred up this conversation of autonomy and um, you know what children can do for themselves. On the show, they, they send kids on errands, you know, to run to the store at age three, four years old. And, um, and so but she had done some really interesting research that showed that children who, uh, who don't have enough autonomy feel powerless in their lives, because mm. they don't feel like they have the, um, you know, the, the self power to do things on their own. and And so it is it is a conversation that we need to have and, and to help each other with. And, um, but one of the things that she suggests is, you know, just practicing with, you know, take walk to wherever it is, you know, walk to your next door neighbor and have a message for your neighbor and do this a few times. And then maybe ask your child, would you please go next door and ask him whatever it is that you need from your neighbor and, and kind of set it up, but give your child the practice of doing something on their own too. Yeah,
1: that sounds like Lenore Skenazy's work. I'm going to have to take a look at um, at that show and see if she's involved in it at all. She encourages families, and, you know, children to try one thing that scares them, you know, just to take that one step. And right. like your mom, when her son was ten, and this is how she started the whole free range kid movement. Um, she, he wanted to ride. They lived in Manhattan and he wanted to ride the subway home. And so, you know, they they planned and planned and planned until he was ready. You know, he had the money for the tolls and all of this, and he knew the route and, and but wow, when she she was a columnist for one of the papers, when she wrote about it, she was dubbed worst mom in America, right. you know, um, because, you know, well, what if this had happened? And, you know, it's, it's, it's that worst first thinking. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's actually the safest time to be a kid in America. I don't know if you're aware of that, Anne, but the statistics show that there has never been a safer time to be a kid in America. And, but you'd never <laughs> believe it listening to media and social media, you know? Right. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it is definitely a conversation that we need to continue uh, mm-hmm. amongst ourselves in small groups and also in the, in the, in the big,
1: Sure.
0: so yeah, as we need to yeah.
1: encourage one another to be more fearless you know to to mm-hmm. be a little braver
0: mm-hmm. um
1: right. and certainly if we hear of a mom doing something you know like letting her child <laughs> we don't even let them out to play in the yard by themselves anymore we have to stop chastising them you know and, mm-hmm. and criminalizing them so mm-hmm. yeah yeah we need yeah. to be more supportive Yeah.
0: I think in the show notes for this episode, I'm going to put a bunch of resources. I can just, books are coming to mind that I could uh, lead parents to that would give them some permission to consider the possibilities of of doing some of these things. Um, Do you you have any last words for parents just in um, supporting their child's development in these first three years?
1: Well, I'm the the myth that I am most trying to debunk is that earlier is better. So you know, we 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 tend to overprotect them on one end, and on the other, we're pushing them to do things before they're developmentally ready. So, um, which is surprising, considering that the one thing parents say most often is, "Oh my gosh, they're growing so fast," you know. <laughs> but on the other hand, we're we're trying to advance them, you know, in academics and athletics and all of that. So I would say, try to enjoy the ride, you know, watch, watch the child development that happens before your eyes and, and trust that nature had a pretty darn good plan. And we couldn't possibly have a better one. Right? Yeah. Yes, everything does
0: happen. There's very few adults walking around still sucking a thumb and doing all of those <laughs> kinds of things.
1: <laughs> kids. Very few, I would imagine, yeah.
0: <laughs> very yeah. few, you know. Yeah. So anyways, well, thank you so much for being with me here and having this conversation with me about um, helping parents understand how to best support their kids. I know that this has been really helpful. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for inviting me, Anne. I appreciate the opportunity. Sure. If you loved
0: today's episode, please share it with a friend. The first years can be overwhelming for any parent, whether your baby's a newborn or out there walking and talking and taking on the world by force. So share away. All you have to do is head to the platform where you're listening, click on the share button or the icon, and share it to a friend. I so appreciate you taking the time to do so, and it really helps me support other parents on their journey. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now.